church family I trust you're all well and staying safe and looking after and caring for one another as a church family would I um, we've been looking at this problem over the last few weeks called the human condition and we've noticed that uh, as humans we've fallen short of this standard of God and we've caused the problem in the world and uh, today I want to ask the question you know is Jesus the answer or who is Jesus are there, is there an alternate answer to this human condition, human problem? And uh, today we're just going to have a quick look initially at uh, one person who says, yes, they have the answer, that scientists, the science has actually found the answer to this problem. And then we'll quickly turn to Jesus and have a look at him. So this is a, a big dilemma, the human condition for scientists, because the question they want to answer is what is the cause of our suffering? Why are we, what, what causes the chaos and the wars and the, the pain? What causes our competitive and self-centered and selfish nature? Why are we so aggressive? Well, thankfully there's a biologist called Jeremy Griffith who has found the answer. And I quote, he says, science is the liberator the so-called Messiah or the Redeemer of mankind as we hoped, as we've always hoped it would be. And he says that the cause of our human condition is psychological. He says for two million years we've had an internal war going on between our natural instincts and our intellect. Our instincts, he says, have copped the blame for our aggressive, selfish, competitive nature because evolution is based on the survival of the fittest. And so that makes sense, doesn't it? Our competitive nature, we're competitive because that's the way the survival of the fittest works. If we're not competitive, we'll get eaten by the, the bears or the lions. So he basically says that it's not that our instincts were wrong, that we were, are evil or selfish. We just needed to find a blame, a reason for it. And so we blamed our survival of the fittest um, instincts. He says that our instincts have got a bad rap, that we were initially good, which is true if we look at the Bible. God created us good. He says that we were initially good, that we were cooperative, selfless, loving and moral human beings that we were living in harmony and peace. He says in a garden-like um, Eden state. And he says that taking the fruit from the tree of knowledge is uh, a metaphor for developing an intellect or, or a conscience. And Griffith says that we're thrown out of the garden of Eden of original innocence because it appeared 
that they were bad for eating the fruit. But now, thankfully, he says we can explain that they, we humans, weren't bad at all. In fact, we are the heroes of the story of life on earth. And he says that the reason for this conflict is that our intellect is constantly condemning us for operating according to our instincts. So our instincts are constantly trying to prove that we are good and not bad, that we're constantly trying to validate themselves or prove their worth to get a win or to get some relief from the intellect or the conscious self. And so as a result of this barrage of being told that our instincts is bad, we acted accordingly. And as a result of this condemnation, we became defensive and angry and we developed rage and anger and competition. So our selfish, competitive and aggressive nature, he says, um, our our behaviour is not due to our savage instincts, but to having to live in this constantly psychological upset condition. And he says that... Now that we can understand the human condition, we can understand why we are upset. He said uh, it's psychological. Now, Now that we know that it's psychological, we can actually fix it. And the scientific answer that Griffith gives to fix our human condition is that all we need to do now is to stop believing that we're evil and start believing that we are good. Stop believing that we're the villains of the story and start believing that we are the heroes. You can listen to his theory. It's an hour-long interview. Uh, If you Google thehumancondition.com and it's titled The Interview That Saves the World. I've listened to it a few times and read through the, the text, but what I can't understand is is how the conscience, and I've talked about this a few weeks ago, how the conscience actually started to condemn the instinct. Because if the Garden of Eden was perfect, you know, if there was no restrictions, if there's no rules, and all we did was operate on instinct, then why would eating the fruit be wrong? You know, there would be no reason for guilt, there'd be no reason for being thrown out of the garden. Number two, if it's a metaphor, then eating the fruit doesn't explain how they develop the conscience either. The only way they could have developed a conscience is if someone told them not to touch the fruit. I've uh, spoken about Bailey, I've seen her in some of the clips before, but uh, she loves to wander up the road and to go across the road and there's all kinds of smells and sights and sounds up there that she loves to sniff and and look at. There are horses that get dropped off and there are dogs that wander past and food gets left up there and and, um, she loves to go up to the road and and visit. In her mind, it's not wrong. It's, you know, it's not evil that she goes up there. It's it's um, just a natural instinct. There's no fence, there's no line that she, she crosses uh, in her mind. She's a dog. She's like, well, what's the problem? She doesn't understand the dangers that are involved. 
she could get run over by a car or a motorbike. She could even get picked up and, and stolen. And so I've t told her not to go up to the road and I scolded her. And when I catch her up there, I go off crook at her and she knows that she's done the wrong thing and she puts her tail between her legs and she runs, puts her head down and she runs back home. She didn't develop a conscience. She just knows that I laid down the rule for her. And so she knows that she's done wrong because I'm the one who told her that this is wrong. She didn't come up with that herself. If as humans in the garden, we had free reign and no rule, then how is it possible to, to develop a conscience unless someone actually lays down that rule? Like I said a few weeks ago, our conscience can't just evolve from nothing. We're developed because we disobeyed God and we now know right from wrong. We ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we understood that God said, no, don't do that. What we didn't understand was that God was trying to protect us. He was laying down those rules in order to protect us. He knew that there were consequences for disobedience. And so we were banished out of the garden when we disobeyed God as an act of grace uh, for our own protection. You see, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other tree was the tree of life. And so if Adam and Eve had have eaten from the tree of life, after they'd eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would have lived in this disobedient, sinful state forever. So God intervened. He banished them out of the garden as an act of grace. He was giving them what they didn't deserve. And it's like saying to Bailey, look, for your own protection... I'm going to have to tie you up when we're not around because you're only going to get yourself into trouble. And so God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. The human condition, the suffering, the chaos, the anger, the guilt, selfishness, it's all because science won't accept the fact that we have disobeyed God. The human condition is a consequence of rebellion against God. And the good news is not that now that we understand the human condition, we can, we can change our way of thinking. The good news is that God entered the world in order to wipe the slate clean and give us a second chance at living life with God in a perfect world, in a world to come. The Saviour, the Redeemer of the world, is not science. His name is Jesus. Now, science can't disprove Jesus. He can't, hasn't been able to disprove the existence of Jesus. And I'm not going to try and argue for the fact that Jesus existed. And most people would accept that a man named Jesus lived and that he had some good things to say about loving one another. The thing is that Jesus didn't come to earth to deliver a message about how to redeem the world through our good works. That's not his message. He came for two reasons. 
One, he came to demonstrate the existence of God and that God actually loves us. And two, he came to take the penalty for sin in order to heal and restore what was broken, this human condition. So how did Jesus demonstrate God's existence? First, he claimed to be God. He didn't make any apology that he was not God. He called himself the Son of Man, and we'll talk about that next week. But he's not the only person to do that. He's not the only person to claim to be God. And so what evidence do we have that Jesus was God? And the only evidence that we have is written in the Bible. So I want you to pretend that you're the juror, sitting in a trial and I'm going to present some on the lawyer I'm going to present and lay out some evidence for you to decide if it's true or not that's your job so how do you normally determine if something is true or false well you gather evidence you start to gather information it doesn't matter if you're dealing with kids or you're dealing with adults or whatever you you gather evidence So the first thing you do when you're gathering evidence is you go to the primary source. So, for example, let's say uh, our boys had an issue. Nick got a black eye. And so I'll go to Nick. Nick, how did you get this black eye? And he would say, well, Matt pushed me. So then I would go to Matt and say, well, Matt, did you you hit Nick? Did you push him? He would say, yes, but it was an accident. And then I'd go back to Nick and say, was it an accident? And Nick would say, no, he did it on purpose. You see, the problem with the primary source is that the primary source can say anything they want because it's from their perspective. It's true to them. And so I think that's why Jesus, when he was standing before Pilate, that he didn't try to defend himself, he just had no answer. I don't think it would have mattered if Jesus had said, yes, I am God, or no, I'm not God. Uh, You know, I didn't do what they were accusing me of. It really wouldn't have mattered. Because the person on trial is not really a reliable witness. And so even having Jesus' own written words is not uh, a reliable source for information. What is a reliable source are witnesses the secondary sources. That's why we had three boys. So we go to Adam and we say, Adam, were you there when Nick got his black eye? And he say, yes. So what happened? Well, Matt and Nick were fighting and they were fighting over a toy and uh, Matt pushed Nick and he hit his head. You see, my first point is that eyewitness testimony is very powerful and it's a reliable source for determining the truth. So are there any eyewitnesses that were around, that saw what Jesus did, that listened to his stories, that saw the miracles that he did, that witnessed his death, that witnessed his resurrection? Was there someone at the time that was interviewed and and their, their words were recorded for history? Well... Yes, and that is what the Bible, the whole Bible, is all about. It's really uh, an eyewitness account of Jesus, his life and his death, the 
the, the stories that were told prior to his coming. And so we're going to dig into all of that and have a look at some of these stories. These eyewitnesses' accounts are reliable and they can be relied on. They're, they're truthful. It's eyewitnesses that actually condemn the defendant and say, you know, I saw that guy do what he did and he deserves to go to prison. So we could ask the question, what did the eyewitnesses or did the eyewitnesses have anything to gain by telling a lie? Could they have made this story up? And we know the answer to that question. We know that if the zealous Jews wanted Jesus dead, they tried even harder to make sure that the disciples of Jesus weren't able to carry on this story. And so they went in search of them and they were out to to kill them as well. And that's the reason we find the disciples hiding in the upper room. They were afraid for their lives. And so we have clear we have clear testimony from one of these Jewish zealots that he was actually seeking out Christians in order to kill them. And all the testimonies in Acts about stories of people uh, stories of people being stoned and uh, thrown into prison and tortured for their faith. So did the eyewitnesses have anything to gain by telling lies? No. In order to keep the eyewitnesses from giving testimony, these guys were actually threatened with death. So my point too is, as jurors, I want you to accept the fact that the eyewitnesses are a reliable testimony and we can depend on their testimony as truth as we are exploring this historical inquiry question, is Jesus God? And so that's where we're going to pick up next week in part two. And I just want to leave you with the same question that Jesus asked Peter this week. And that is, who do you say Jesus is? We're going to explore this question. And I wanted you to think about the, the fact that if how you answer that question does that influence the way that you live? Well, that's it for this week. Um, Let me pray for you as we head off into the week. Father God, we just thank you that you're such a loving God, that you saw our human condition and you took pity on us and you entered into this world and you took the penalty for our sin. Father, as Christians, we believe that Jesus died for our sin, that he rose again to give us new life and an opportunity to live again with you And so, Lord, we pray that as we research the scriptures and we delve into the Bible, that you actually will reveal through us, to us, through your spirit, the truth that you'll give us wisdom in how to live our life and apply it uh, so that more people will know about Jesus. And we thank you for our little church. We ask that you'll keep us all safe and that you'll bless each one this week. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Behold his hope. The lion and the lamb given to us The word became a man And my soul should know it's Savior Forsaken for the sake of old mankind Salvation is in His blood Jesus Messiah The righteous died
Behold 